I think something that I actually found out for myself as I wrote my memoir was that you find your strength through your vulnerabilities. And being in a chair, there are a lot of times where I was left feeling very vulnerable and out of control and recognizing that your true strengths are within that really yucky moment and to really sort of cherish that for what it is and and really be able to find your inner strength and your inner power and rise from those vulnerabilities and become the thing that you really are and not hold yourself back. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. All right, it's that time again for us to get some education, get some fire me up ingredients. Get some, get me through today, through my struggle, some hope, encouragement, motivation, inspiration from our guest. Hey, I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Thank you for coming in and people on the replay. Be sure to share this out. You know, you know, there's somebody that needs some help and needs some encouragement. So don't, don't just hide this and keep it for yourself. Share it out to your multiple friends to your millions and millions of friends. You know, we can always use more people. All right, hey, our guest today kind of uh, touches with me, okay? Uh, I'm going to just a uh, little spoiler alert, spinal cord injury. All right, so that gets uh, gets you going right here. So after a paralyzing car accident in our guest teens, okay, teenager, left with a new look on life to build. All right, rarely looking back, our guest became a swim coach and a high school teacher. Traveled to India, this is what I want to get to here in a little bit, for experimental stem cell treatment. She fought hard to make the Paralympic team, even become a mother. With so many stories to tell, lessons learned, what did our guest do, but only the thing that could be done, end up writing a book, which is coming out, she said, here hopefully next month or so, and it's called When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Chair. Now, what a title. I want to be a chair. So welcome to the podcast. Let me get this button here. Podcast here. Welcome, Ryan Hardbuck. Hello. It's nice to be here today. Oh, thank you again for sharing your valuable time. We're still looking at your book cover here, a <laughs> uh, possible book cover. And so... Uh, I'm excited for you. Again, we mentioned, I talked before, I wish everybody would write a book, if nothing else, just their life to pass down to their great, great grandkids when they're dead and gone. Totally. All right. So, Ryan, thank you for being here again, sharing your valuable time. We know that time is precious and and giving us some insights and uh, how we can get through struggles, get through life and know that. Life is still worth living, and, and, and we can still make the best of it as possible. So, Absolutely. all right, Ryan, let's go ahead and dive into the story here. So, in your teens, so you're in the teens. You're uh, how old? How old were you? I was 16 years old. I had had my driver's license for three months, and um, I was in a car accident. It was. Um, it ended up being like a really highly publicized accident where I'm from because it involved six teenagers. We were coming back from a school dance um, and we ended up, nobody really knows for certain why it happened, but we ended up crossing the median of a highway and hitting another car head on. And so everybody immediately was injured. Um, There were two fatalities that evening and I um, somehow flew out of the car, landed you know, 75 feet away from the car, paramedics found me, didn't know if there was anything they could do and just essentially plopped me on an ambulance and hoped I would make it to the hospital. And obviously I did, luckily I did. And, um, I had other than, um, 
I pulled and stretched my spinal cord, giving me the spinal cord injury, but I had a lot of other injuries. I had collapsed my lungs, so I was on a ventilator. I had broken um, all both my legs, my arms. I had extreme road rash. And so my recovery was really, really long. There were a lot of things that um, needed to be addressed. I actually, in um, my recollection, they had to do surgery on my legs before they could even do my um, surgery to to reset my spine. And so uh, there was just a lot of things going on. I spent about three months in the hospital. The first month was in the ICU unit. Um, I don't have any memory from the actual accident or even like the day before, about a week later is when uh, my brain allowed me to kind of start making memories again and um, started to realize that, you know, I was, I needed to move forward. Um, And so, um, that was my junior year of high school. So I missed my second semester of that entire junior year and um, got to get out of the hospital just in time for summer and use the summer to sort of learn what my life was going to be like in a wheelchair now. And you're nodding because you totally know what I'm talking about. Um, all of a sudden, you know, everything is different, yet you just want to be the same. You know, I was a 16 year old kid and all I wanted to be was just like everybody else. And Um, And so that was my biggest struggle, I think. But I think it was also my biggest blessing. Um, You know, I was a naive kid and I didn't really take a lot of moments to look at what had happened to me or my loved ones. And and, um, I just moved forward. And so I think that very early on, I had this false sense of perseverance. Um, I thought a lot um, after you know, deciding to join your podcast about like, what is perseverance and what does that do for somebody? And, and it's really the ability to move forward, you know, despite any sort of roadblocks or obstacles. And I did that for very much of my younger life, but I did that, I think in a very false way. I think I just did it because I, I was too afraid to look back. Um, so oh, there's no, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. Cause I've already been through, I know it's behind me. I know what happened there. Let's forget it as fast as possible and go, uh, which, again, is a little naive. Um, Eagle VP, thank you for coming in. Yes, this is Ryan, and she's saying hello, waving at you there, Eagle. So appreciate you coming in. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally totally can see that. that uh, here's one thing you'd mentioned, uh, you know, about a month of no memory while in the hospital and stuff, you know, that you're, you're, your brain lets you catch up finally. Yeah, I missed like four days, and I can't remember anything when I had my injury and they had me so drugged up and everything like that in ICU. And uh, when I got out, they asked me, they were doing the old, uh, trying to find out if I had any brain injury, you know, damage. And said, you know, who's the president? What uh, the day is this? Stuff like that. And then I go, well, I don't know what the day is, but I know a day I got hurt and I told him. And then he said, well, today's Thursday. I said, Thursday? I can't. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange when you, you realize you miss some part of your life that you have no clue anymore. It's true. It's true. I'm sort of thankful for that as well, though, because it did allow me to, I think, move forward quicker (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I was able to sort of separate my life before my accident. And then I was granted a different life afterwards. Yeah. I tell people that uh, the life as I knew it died then. And the life that I'm living now in the wheelchair is my new life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's our new normal for, right. for, for other people. And so, um, yeah, see, I got my neck broke playing football and I was conscious the whole time. So I remember all the pain in the neck and people talking and doctors and yeah. So, but yeah, I can see where you, where you're going. Um, because you, you don't have to go back and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have because of, and I remember all the pain because of, and so you, since you don't know it, you, you can't revert back to that. So, which I can see would be good. And you're the second person this week, and I can't remember the injury of the other one, but no, no, it was a car accident as well. And she said the same thing that you said, that it ended up being a blessing and a gift for her, for her to, you know, to be, to, of course, to survive the car accident. She was in spinal cord injury, but other injuries took place. But she was looking at her life today and how, things worked out and still, and yeah, you're the second one this week that's talked about, uh, it's been a blessing and a gift. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it, for the ones that's not gone through some, I mean, we all go through something. But for ones that hadn't gone through a life-changing traumatic thing, they have a hard time understanding this is a life blessing and a gift. And I feel the same thing. It's only one thing that I wish didn't happen, and that is my family had to suffer with me. Absolutely. I mean, they didn't get paralyzed, but they were there to help turn me in the middle of the night when I couldn't do myself, to help dress me, to help feed me, to help do. And so, yeah, that, that's the only thing I regret is they had to go through all of it with me and the, and the pain and the, and the, you know, all the loving and everything as well. So I wrote about it in my book. I absolutely think that my family had it harder than I did ever. And that was because happening it happening to me, I was able to control my feelings and wrap my head around it. And I think when you have something happen to a loved one, you feel so out of control and so spiraled. And, and I think that that's a much harder way to deal with an event that happens to somebody else. Well, and m- mom and dad, what did they say? I would trade my life to, to be in their position. So, sure. for, so my child wouldn't have to go through it. And so, yeah, like I said, so they've lost that control now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of you, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I, I haven't thought of it that way in the control part, but yeah, that's that's a good idea. Uh, thing like that. So, all right, now, and oh, and so here's one thing with rehab and everything is they're trying their best to teach you to live in your wheelchair, to learn how to transfer, learn how to redress yourself, learn how to do everything, but you don't really get the learning. You don't get the rehab really until you get home away from every, all the other professionals, the things that they don't teach you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the hospital life is so different than real life. And no matter how much they try to mirror it and prepare you and educate you, you know, there's, there's that comfort of being in the hospital and everybody's in a wheelchair and everybody, you know, knows how to help you if you need it. And I think, you know, being so young, being 16, and all of a sudden I get released and get to go out into the real world. All I wanted to do was hang out and play with my friends all day. And I tried with all my might. I mean, I remember, you know, a week, a week in, and I left my, my wheelie bars that keep me from tipping over backwards on the roof of my friend's car. And so then all of a sudden I had to learn how to deal, deal without having those. And I had to learn how to do a wheelie on myself, you know, by myself. And, um, and I had to, I left my transfer board somewhere. And so I had to learn how to do transfers all of a sudden because I, I couldn't rely on that. And, and I think that, that those little pieces though, as scary as they are, uh, they're important. They're, they're the way to, you know, it's kind of that thing where um, unless you fail, you don't really know how to succeed. And, um, and there were a lot of failures <laughs> at the beginning. There was a, a, uh... A uh, woman I had met before, and she had married a guy that was in a wheelchair, and he was a quadriplegic. And she was going that you know you've got to learn to help transfer, you know, to make it easier with me trying to do for you. And she said well, she come home from work one day, and he had threw like four pillows on the floor because he was going to try to transfer, but he put the pillows there just in case he missed, <laughs> so yeah. he landed on the pillows, not on the hard floor. So that, <laughs> but that, that's great that he's attempting. You know, but it'd be a little wiser. Make that attempt while someone's there, because <laughs> what if you're on the ground and she don't come home for four hours? So yeah. it out. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, you better figure out how to get to that telephone or something. Yeah. So. All right. Now, then uh, I'm assuming with mom and dad, uh, you got siblings. I do. I have a younger sister. She's three years younger than me. OK, so I'm sm- uh, uh, assuming that you had a pretty good, strong support system with the family. I did. Um, and I um, had a good community. I lived in um, an area that just had a really great um, neighborhood community, as well as um, my high school community. I grew up being an, a competitive swimmer, and that swim community was super important um, and really helped me kind of get back into things and realize that, that oh, I can still swim or I can still go to school. And having being forced to sort of also realize that I'm going to have to do it a little bit differently and that's just going to have to be okay. And so I did go back to school to high school, um, my senior year in the fall. And, um, 
the high school helped me a little bit in terms of I didn't have to go a full day. I was still pretty weak. Um, but I did it and I graduated on time and I went to college thereafter. And I just sort of did the things that I think my peers were doing and that I had always wanted to do and just sort of kind of fell in line. But like I said, I think that looking back, it was really sort of a false perseverance. It was, I was just doing those things and really sort of fearful of looking back. And it wasn't until a lot later on, I had, you know, graduated college, I was coaching swim team, I became a high school teacher. And I was sort of, I felt like I had my life all put together. And then all of a sudden, I landed in my lap, basically this, this, I guess, this little voice inside of me that said, hey, look, this person that you know went to India to have stem cell treatment done. And this person that I knew was sort of like this mentor figure for me when I was initially hurt and in the hospital. And and she's this beautiful, wonderful, amazing person. And it was for the first time, it made me think like, oh, wait, she's not happy in her life. She's not happy you know, just being who she is in a wheelchair. And that really made me sort of take a step back and, and reflect about that a little bit. And then, you know, and then like the really crazy part was, was once I sort of came to terms with entertaining that, well, maybe I want something more for myself. Maybe I want to kind of see where this journey uh, has taken her in India. And so I met with her and she right away showed me, you know, some of the progress that she had had from her couple of trips to India, getting the stem cell treatment. And she was able to move her legs quite a bit. And um, she shared with me about, you know, um, changes in her bowels and bladder and things like that. And it was really, really um, remarkable, I thought, initially. And, and But then the second I shared that with my family and my friends and my colleagues that was the first time I realized how much me being in a wheelchair and being paralyzed mattered to everybody else because right away, everybody was on board. They wanted me to go. They wanted me to get this treatment and, um, and it was great and it was wonderful to have so much support, but it was also so, so, so scary because it was the first time that I really had to take in how much my paralysis affected everybody in my immediate world. Do you think with the sharing the India trip and stem cells treatment, and again, with some of the prognosis progress your friend had, and do you think get your family and everybody so excited and everything, the community excited because we may have our old Ryan back? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it just, I just didn't, I, it made me realize how much me not walking was still very much a part of my life. Whereas I didn't really see that for myself anymore. At that point, um, when I was entertaining the thoughts of going to India, I had been in a wheelchair for over 10 years. It may have been a dozen years at that point. And so, and that was just very much at that point who I was. And I didn't really think of there being another side of it, another token of it, and until um, this this idea of of perhaps getting some mobility or function back from the stem cells, and um, and yeah, and it and it was um, a really hard time because I it, I wasn't quite sure if my family and friends were you know just happy for me or were they actually happy for themselves too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, before we get so far ahead on India, let's go back to your your false perseverance. Mm-hmm. Okay, that you're you're wanting to move forward in life, and you, I would think a part of it is that you want to move forward in life, so mom and dad and sister, other people don't worry so much about you. I yes. mean, because I mean, because. Uh, um, I did. I, uh, I'm a quadriplegic, and so mm-hmm. I did as much as I could and tried to go forward because I wanted one. I wanted me to get the best that I could as possible, uh, but also knowing that my family was worried so much about me, and so we figure if I show progress, it eased them some with me as well. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Now, when, I think there's now some- when you move, when you move so fast like you did, 
Did you uh, did you ever and did this happen? I mean, when you were going talking about the India stem cell uh, thing, depression. Did you have depression at the beginning? Did you never have depression? Did you when all of a sudden your friends talking about the India trip and then start getting depressed because you could have done? Did you ever, I mean, get through a, a depression through this? I think um, initially, no. I think initially, right after my accident, it was that uh, fight or flight sort of uh, process that my body just sort of took over and was like, let's get back to where I can live again. Um, but then, you know, when I went on to college and I was uh, a lot of times alone and forced to meet new people and, um, you know, I think that uh, there's probably a lot of depression that happens in college anyways, besides, uh, you know, having been a newly spinal cord injured patient or person. And I think that ultimately, I think that I had, you know, these moments and I had to kick myself out of it because if I wanted to make friends and if I wanted to, uh, you know, do well in this class or go to this football game or what, you know, I, I couldn't just sit at home. And so, um, I think that those years in my college years were probably my most depressive years, but I also think that, uh, they were really profound learning years too, where I, I learned very quickly that it was kind of going to be my job to let everybody else know that I was okay. And, and if I could let everybody in the world know that I was okay and show them that I'm fine, I don't need your help to get out of the car. I don't need your help up this ramp or whatever the case may be, then it was going to be okay. And, um, it's a big job. It's a big job to constantly have to show the world that you're okay without just having to say, I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. Um, but I think that having to be, having to do that, forcing myself to do that, um, actually got me out of any sort of depressive episodes that could have kept me down for quite a bit. And let's go back to your high school here. Now, when I had my injury, I was, I was out of high school. I was two weeks into college. And so, um, the social worker there told my mom and mom told me later on that she says, I don't care how popular James may have been by the time everything's done and over with, with this injury, he'll be fortunate if he can have five people that he can say stood by him the whole time. And I'm go, I was going really five people. And I was thinking, and then after 38 years, I can honestly say she's, she was right. There's hmm. about the five friends from high school and stuff that I can say has been supportive and stuff. And so did you find while coming back to high school, some of your friends stayed with you, some of your friends, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of it I know is they didn't know what to say. They didn't want to do. And cause they didn't know as much as you didn't know either. And right. so that I understand. And I understand when I got, when I got hurt, I'm two weeks into college, you know, friends, we we're, we're all in, a hundred million different ways from school now. And, and they're off dating, getting married, having their own friend, uh, uh, family, things like, I understand all that. So, but, um, so, but with you still in high school, did you find it, you had certain friends that you can count on even today, you can call and say, Hey, I need to talk or let's go do something or surprised that certain friends just kind of backed the way out. Yeah. I mean, I think that for one, um, when I was in high school, um, and probably very intuitively, I'm, I'm a very introverted person. I, in high school, I was very quiet in classes and I kept a pretty small social group, I think. Um, and I never, you know, I kind of enjoyed being a wallflower. And once my accident happened, I knew coming back that everybody knew who I was. Everybody knew what had happened to me. And, um, and that alone was maybe really anxious. And I think that, um, from that, in terms of friends, I think that I lost a lot of friends that were, you know, those school friends that maybe you don't hang out with on the weekends, but you talk to every day or you eat lunch with, uh, because they, you're right. They just didn't know what to say anymore or how to approach me. And so they just were gone. Um, and then on the flip side, I think there were a lot of people that I didn't talk to a lot of, you know, people in a popular crowd that 
all of a sudden were trying to reach out and talk to me. And for better or for worse, for whatever reason, I felt, you know, very upset by that. I didn't take it in as like, oh, these, these people are just reaching out because they've, you know, they want to be my friend or they want to be around me. Um, you know, I immediately felt that there was like that sense of pity and that sense of like, oh, well, I know, I know that girl that's in a wheelchair. And, um, and that was really hard. And I think that I did lose a lot of relationships that way in the later part of my high school. Um, and sort of being a shy and quiet kid to begin with didn't help because I didn't reach out. I didn't step forward. And I, I remember sitting in high school classes just um, at, you know, like a side table because I couldn't fit in the, the normal desk chair combo thing and feeling just so out of place. And I just sit there and sweat because I was so embarrassed about it. And it, and, you know, looking back, I know that nobody in that classroom even remembers where I was sitting and it wasn't a big deal, but those were the things that I, that I really held on to at those moments. Well, it was, it was a big deal for you because you're yeah. being a social outcast because you can't get there like the normal everyday student. Mm-hmm. And so you're being, you know, and, and the school duty did was best with the table and everything trying to accommodate, but still it's different. Mm-hmm. And now you're different than you're. And so now you got to worry about it. I don't know if you have to worry about it, but I would go. People were talking about me because I'm over here by myself. You know, people were still wondering what's going on. Like, yeah. I, when I first got injured, I'd go out to the ball field and stuff. And I would think that people were going, well, there's James. We got to watch out what we say. We don't want to hurt his feelings. Uh, there's Jane. And yeah, you know, so I would I, I would think that people would, you know, just, and not that, again, they're being mean. They just don't know, don't understand. They're afraid they're going to hurt your feelings. They're afraid they're going to say something that's going to tear you. You're going to start crying and bawling about. So I, I can understand all that. So Eagle VP, hey, thank you. Eagle VP said that you are both, both. Oh, you're talking about me too as well? Oh, thank you. Uh, you ought to be talking about Ryan. Ryan's the Ryan's the positive uh, person here. Thank you for this. Hey, this is Will Life. Thank you for coming in, buddy. Hey, uh, saying hey to you, Ryan. Uh, Will Life. This is hey. Will Life. Will Life Tim. So uh, thank you for coming in, Will Life. Uh, this is Will Life. All right, uh, all right. So now listen, I want to get. I want to get to this other topic because um, we know that you uh, you successful through your college because you're talking about being a teacher and mm-hmm. uh, coach and everything. Coach, you're gonna start calling you Coach. Hey, Coach. <laughs> What's up, Coach? All right. So, all right. I want to get to this one because I've had another guest that went to, and I can't remember exactly where, but I don't know if it was India, uh, for a spi- uh, spinal cord stem cells treatment, everything. And he talked about it wasn't a positive experience for him. Uh, didn't get anything back or anything like that. And from there. So let's get into this India India STEM, because I'm a believer, because I taught science when I was in school. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher as well and a coach. And so I, I believe the stem cell is going to be a way to find a lot of cures for a lot of diseases and, and things. Okay. So that's what I believe. It may not happen during my lifetime. I believe it's, I believe it's going to be a big part. So let's find out what happened when you went to India. What, what were they doing the stem cells, where do they implant it, where do they, and what were they hoping was going to happen and what actually happened? A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff thrown out here. Yeah. So So the clinic was in New Delhi. Um, and, uh, I agreed to go and they needed me there for two months. And so I went, um, over the summer months since I was a teacher and, uh, they encouraged you to bring a, companion with you. And so I actually was able to bring three of my best friends over the course of the two months to stay with me, which was an amazing uh, advantage to being there. I think that it would have been really, really hard to be there alone. Um, But the way that, so the stem cells that they used in this clinic were embryonic stem cells. And so um, I do have a science background too. The embryonic stem cells, they don't have a job assigned to them already. And so it makes it easier for them to become the different types of cells that your body mm-hmm. needs, like the nerve cells or what have you. Um, yeah. 
the doctor that we were that I was working with at the clinic um, was originally a fertility doctor when she stumbled upon these stem cells, and she um, always kept very quiet about her process. And um, I think that she was a little bit worried that somebody else would take her ideas and her her actual treatments. And um, all right, stop here because yeah. this is one of my pet peeves that these doctors, scientists out there want to be the first one to come up with everything so they can get their name attached to it and be called the Purdue stem cells cure for all. And then plus the money they make. I understand all that. Okay. But if these scientists and, and doctors and researchers would share information, you don't have 40 different companies trying to reinvent the exact same test and they come out with the exact same results because no one's talking to each other and they've wasted 10 years of research because share your daggum information so we can all find something quicker. You know, well, um, Superman, Superman, Christopher Reeves, he felt like, you know, we, we could all be walking again in 10 years if, if everybody would share their stuff. Sure. And he, and he passed away, you know, years ago with without but he really his thing was if when president kennedy says we need to get to the moon and we were there less than 10 years he said there's no reason why we can't have a cure for spinal cord injury if these people would work together and and but everybody's hiding each other like you're you're one here because we want to be the first person to get it out get the name attached to it get the money and get the awards and everything i understand all that dad gummy share it Right. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That that's my pet peeve, and and it gets me going. Well, and I also think there was some um, just unknown uh, about it as well, because um, in terms of the treatments, they were I was given injections twice a day um, that looked similar to insulin vials, um, about the same quantity like a, a diabetic would have to take, um, and from my understanding, the doctor would adjust based on your progress or not. And, and so I think that there was still a lot that she didn't even understand. And it was things that she would try something and if it worked, she would do it again. And if it didn't, then she would try something else. Um, so beyond those injections though, um, I would have what they would just call a treatment about every either other, every once a week or every other week. And with those treatments, they would actually take me to a hospital facility in New Delhi, and I would go into an operating theater. And um, some of those treatments involved putting a small catheter along my spinal column and injecting the stem cells there, or um, even just injecting them straight into different places in my spinal column. Um, Okay, now hold on here now. You're talking about injecting or all the way through. Is it just the damaged area? Or are you talking the whole vertebrae? And yep. while I'm while I'm thinking here, this is Will Life. Tim said he had injections back in uh, 2011-2012. Uh, same as you, Ryan's what he, mm-hmm. he was saying. All right, go ahead. So um, yeah, so that the um, the treatments what they would usually do right around uh, my injury area, um, either above or below, or even directly on. And um, they they always made me very nervous because for one you would be rolled into this operating theater, operating room. And in in the States, you're very used to it being very like white and sterile and cold. And in India, it wasn't the case at all. It was pretty warm in there and mm. there were things everywhere. Um, it was pretty loud. Um, and they just like slather you all over with iodine beforehand and say, and, and um, they wouldn't put you under, you would stay awake. And so there are a Ooh. lot of For the most part, for the most part, they were working with, you know, below or right at my injury level. So I didn't really feel much. But the couple times um, I I felt when they would inject um, felt like lightning and they would get very excited about that because, you know, that's kind of uh, the best equivalent to what your nervous system is. It's like lightning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, and I will say that. Well, before I say that, um, and 
you get your treatments, you get your, your daily treatments and your weekly treatments. And then the other facet that they had at this clinic was they set you up doing physical therapy or physiotherapy every day. Um, pretty rigorously. Um, the first day I was there, the first week I was there, they fitted me for leg braces and would put you up on leg braces and a parallel bar and like start you trying to walk every single day and start you moving your legs every day, doing lots of stretches and um, things like that. And so that was a huge component of it as well. Um, while I was there, um, it wasn't only spinal cord injuries that were the the patients or the clients that were staying there at the time. There was actually a lot of people that had um, aggressive Lyme's disease or MS, um, even some um, visual impairments. There was a huge gamut of people with chronic conditions that had no cure that were there seeking these, these stem cells. And so immediately, um, within just a couple days of being there and starting to get to know the people there, it was really apparent that, that these cells were working for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, and it was really, really fascinating. And it was really great to be a part of and just to watch other people's progresses of things. Um, I mean, I remember them developing a, um, an eye drop of stem cells for the patients that were visually impaired and things like that, just sort of like that, that whole like trial and error thing again. Um, I See, would that say would, that would, that would definitely intrigue me as well as meeting the other different people that are trying to get the same results. Uh, maybe not exact same results, but the improvement, Right. And, the, yeah. you know, to find a visually impaired MS, muscular dystrophy, whatever it is, that would, that would, and then, because I would, I would want to not say compare myself with them, but to see, you know, to know what, what worked and for them that may have worked or not worked with me, that, that would be an interesting to me. Yeah, well, and I think ultimately, I felt while I was there, as I continued my stay and getting my treatments, I felt like I wasn't gaining progress the way that some of the other people that were staying there were. And I kind of had to step, take a step back and think about it. And, you know, in these stem cells that they're injecting, they don't have a job, they don't know where to go. And they go where your body is calling for help. And, you know, thinking about all of the injuries that I've sustained, um, even just from that night of my car accident, I had yes. a lot of things wrong. And um, probably the first sign that I felt like something felt like it was working is I have a bunch of skin grafts and scars on my legs. And um, it was probably about, I don't know, four or five days into my treatment. And all of a sudden my scars started peeling and um, that was really the first thing I think that I was like, Hmm, maybe there is something because, you know, I, I'm probably the biggest skeptic of anybody just when it comes to myself. And so, um, you know, I was doing the physiotherapy and I was feeling stronger. I was feeling every day. I felt a little bit better when they would get put me up in my, um, leg braces, but I just kept telling myself, well, that's just because you're practicing it. You're doing better. You're gaining muscle, um, just from, you know, being forced to work on it, but then having my, my legs skin kind of peel like that, that was something that I knew that I couldn't control. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that was something that I just was kind of, that was like one of those, like, mm, mm -hmm, okay, I'll take note of that kind of moments, um, for me. And, um, and so I think that when it comes down to it, I think that my body had a lot of injuries and those cells were going to a lot of different places. And so I don't think that I was able to get the, you know, the most out of those treatments, like some of the other patients that were there at the time. Um, I did go end up going back to India. Um, I think it was six months later for a month stay and, um, had another round of treatments. And when I left that second round, um, I could actually feel deep pressure to my knees, which I couldn't before. And, um, and I just had a better awareness of my lower body. 
And I think that that actually ended up being very, very pivotal and very important for me because I think that I really um, had learned to ignore my legs and ignore my lower half. And um, that has caused me trouble. You know, I remember in high, in college living in an apartment and making macaroni and cheese on a stove and then taking the pot and putting it on my lap to stir it and then burning burns on my lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just because I wasn't thinking about it. And so just having kind of like reigniting that connection with my lower body, it, it allowed me to treat my legs better and my lower half a little bit better and yes. um, be more mindful of that. And um, just having that connection, feeling like a whole body um, was really, really important. And, you know, and, and really the experience in that I had in India um was so much more than just those stem cells. It was, it was so much about just the culture and um, being, you know, sort of vulnerable in a place that you didn't speak the language and trying to navigate that. And, and so there was so many pieces that sort of trickled in to this, you know, defining moment of I'm getting these injections. What's going to happen? Do I really want to walk again? Do, is that really my goal? Um, and so it, you know, I think that when it comes down to it, that's when I learned perseverance because it was, that was the first time I was actually willing to look back and to look at, you know, my paralysis for what it was. And, and so I think that all of my experiences in India directly related to the stem cells and not really sort of came together to give me the power to actually move forward. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, I want to bring up here. Hey, uh, this is Will Life Tim. Thank you for coming in. I know you got to go. Uh, I'll catch you later, man. All right. And so, Ryan, you mentioned, what did you mention? Oh, well, I didn't realize this because uh, uh, I haven't studied stem cells enough. Uh, look, I just know, you know, enough that it's, I think it's going to be a cure for a lot of things. But I didn't realize until you said that um, it goes to wherever is most needed. I thought if they injected in your spinal cord, it would just work on whatever's in your spinal cord. But if it's injected and traveling through your body and it says, oh, these scar tissues, they need some help over here. Let's do something here. And they forget about everything else. Uh, I, I didn't know that. So that uh, you, you didn't, you didn't learn me something. <laughs> well, you didn't learn me. The daily injections that I was giving, tw get, getting twice a day, they would inject them either into my arm or my leg. And so those were just kind of traveling. And, um, and from my understanding, your body, if it has an injury or something that's, that's not working the way that it's supposed to, it does send a signal and says like, Hey, something help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so your, you know, the stem cells would be guided towards those things. Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I, I just didn't realize it was like that. Uh, yes. I thought, I thought it just uh, injected to the spine and I would have thought, I would have thought maybe a little higher than injury, but I would have thought definitely direct into the injury would be the most specific. Uh, mm -hmm. I can see a little above because maybe it's trying to learn what the living nerve endings and stuff are growing. Uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't understand or know, or uh, if it's below the injury because yeah. it's not, it's not getting that signal like it's alive up top. So, sure. so when you said above the injury, below the injury, directly in, uh, I was a little confused. Yeah, I, I would have thought it'd be either direct or right above, I would have think. And of course, well, the, the below could be, again, another research. They just want to see what happens possibly. Well, and I think that that's what a lot of it was. It was just that trial and error of if we try it here, what happens? If we try it here, what happens? Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, when did you, what year did you do this? I believe it was two thousand. 9-2010. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim said he did 2011-2012. Yeah. I'm not sure. He didn't say where he went for the injection. Uh, and then he said he thinks he got about 10 to 15% of uh, sensation back, which is that's 10 to 15% depending on if it's the whole body getting more sensation or certain areas. But the VEC still could be good to help you know I need to move so I don't get a pressure sore uh, right. from there. Yeah. 
So, all right, now then. Yeah, I'm 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 enlightened with this this stem cell stuff. So yeah, I could we can go forever on this one. So mm-hmm. um, all right, now um, see, I did the first five years of my injury. I've been in a wheelchair 38 years, and for my first five years, I went to 18 different rehabs trying to find that cure to walk again. Mm-hmm. Okay, and every time I come back, when I mention depression, I was depressed for the first five years. Yeah, uh, I, I hid it from everybody, so my family and friends, people wouldn't worry about me. But when I'm by myself, I would, yeah, moan and groan and cry. Yeah. Uh, but right. first five years, every time I go to a place, then I'm even madder that I went there and nothing happened. And so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So mine was the first five, five years of that 18 different rehabs trying to find the cure. Now, let me ask this question here. What would be your main goal today if you could get up and walk again? Or would you trade for something different in improvement areas? Well, you know, I think ultimately to to dial back to my decision to go to India for getting stem cell treatment, when it all mm-hmm. came down to it, I didn't go thinking or necessarily even really wishing to walk again. That was, it was kind of like, sure, okay. But, but I really decided on going in the first place to if there was any chance to increase my longevity. That was sort of what I really looked to Uh was that if I could have a longer life or a happier, healthier life in long run, like that is really what's most important. And so when it comes down to it today is, you know, the same, I don't, I almost can't even imagine what it would be like to walk again and what that world would be like for me and for my family. Um, but if I could live a healthy life and not, like you said, get a pressure sore that sends me to the hospital for eight months, like that is what the goal is at this point. Yeah, yes. Um, I got another friend on the, we met on the YouTube here and he goes by the angry quad. Oh. <laughs> the angry quad. Now don't get don't get his title of the angry quad. He's a real good guy. Real uh-huh. good guy. He he's not like he's whining and crying and bitching about everything. He's He's a, he's a good guy. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you come up with his title, Angry Quad, but but his channel is uh, it's very positive. He talks about he do, he tries to do a lot of research, uh, if nothing else, the research so he can gain some benefits, and then the research you use to help for people in the next twenty years or whatever, ten sure. years or five years. But he does a lot of gets in, involved in where he lives in a lot of research. That he, he participates in. And so I told him I'm, I'm too old for all that research anymore. I, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I hope that uh, uh, a lot of people jump into research to help people in years to come, but I, I don't know if it's me anymore. So, <laughs> so all right now, all right now, all right now, here's, here's what we discussed one time with this other couple of people um, walking and you just let told me now, you don't think that's, what your thing, your thing was longevity, be healthy as possible and stay. Okay. So, but here was our comparison walking or better bowel and bladder control. (laughs) Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess if you were walking and you didn't have good bowel and bladder control, that would be, that would almost make it harder. Yeah, because you're leaving a trail wherever you go. <laughs> People gonna find you. No, uh, I did. I um, yeah, because uh, I'm I'm like this. That uh, um, obviously I, I don't wish I got hurt like I did, but it happened. It happened, and yeah, I would rather if I'm gonna have to be sitting, I'd rather have the better bowels and can bladder control, less UTIs less having to do with suppositories and everything else as involved with all that. And so, yeah, I would, mine would be the, yeah, if I was going for anything now at, at my age, and as long as I've been, it would be to improve those areas, not necessarily the walking. Well, I think for me, it would be option C, which would be um, skin. Um, if there's anything that I've had an issue with over my the course of being in a wheelchair, it's been an issue with my skin. And I think that um, I, there, there was a point where I was on bed rest for eight months because mm. of a skin issue. And so 
that's something that I'm always very frightened about. Like yeah, if, yeah, I, yeah. if I, if I have anything in my world that I'm afraid of, it's, it's my health and my skin. Yeah. So hey, I can, I can see that too. Cause I've met one gentleman. He was an L something. You're a what? Uh, I'm sure a T. T5. T5. This guy was like an L1. I mean, he's way down there. And uh, he would not do a pressure release for anything. And he ended up with the bed sore got so bad that they had to remove like half of his butt cheek. Mm-hmm. One of them. It got so bad like that. And uh, he's passed away here. I found out two years ago. I, pa- I found out but he 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 was good, but he would he had all that upper body strength and his stomach and everything because he's an L. He's just right there at his hips, and he would not do that from there. All right, so before we run out of time here, let's get into. Uh, of course, you come back and you're still. I'm sure because you, you said you come back and you went back for uh, six months later for another month, and I'm sure that's to give time to see if anything was happening for them to test to see everything improved over six months and everything. And so now you come back after all that. How long was it before you become wife and mother? Oh, so um, it was. So after I came back and my life sort of settled back into just teaching and coaching, um, that is when I ended up having a sore that put me in bed for um, eight months mm-hmm. when I came, when I was finally well enough to get out of bed and, and recover again, I started swimming again and for myself and, um, kind of made myself a quiet goal to try to make the Paralympic team. And so that was, I made that goal for myself in 2010 and I trained and swam as hard as I could for two years. And I went to the Paralympic trials in 2012 and, um, that's actually where I met my husband. He was coaching uh, a little person um, to try to make the team as well. And we connected very briefly, um, but we exchanged information and we started communicating. He lived in North Carolina at the time. And um, within about a month, he came out to visit me here and we camped for a week and he loved Colorado and went back home to North Carolina. And we were married in, by September. So two months after that. There you go. Awesome. And um, from there, uh, about a year later, we had our first child and he's now seven. And now I have a two-year-old as well, both boys. And they're very, very fast. <laughs> well, congratulations. I pre- appreciate hearing that. Okay. Cause we hear there's a lot of people that uh, get some type of disability or whatnot, and they don't find that love. And so um, I'm very, very pleased for you and happy for you. And uh, congratulations on healthy children and things like that. Hey, mm-hmm. Eagle VP wants to know, Ryan, do you have, you, do you have your own uh, YouTube channel for him I to come don't. follow? <laughs> All right. You need to get one. Need, they're free. They're free to get one. Get you a YouTube channel and discuss positive things in your life. Uh, yeah. People want to see a vlog, you know, which, what's the day in the life of Ryan? You can show them how you get out of bed and transfer and don't do the whole naked nude thing, but you can show them how you, you know, go to get in the shower or transfer on off a toilet. You're helping other people to learn from you. And then plus they want to know the day in life and then give them some daily uh, affirmations and stuff. Yep. Because my channel, that's what I do. I don't do the transfer and all that stuff. I just do the the positive stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you need to need to do that, uh, Ryan. And I bet you get Eagle BP and me. We'll be your, okay. we'll be at least two of your followers. That sounds so. great. All right. Uh, Ryan. And so last thing here, uh, let's, um, talk about that book again coming out. So you got your book, you say it's coming out, uh, possibly January. Hopefully by the end of January, if not early February, um, it's in its final stages. Um, I have been writing it for about a dozen years now. <laughs> hey, that's what it did on my first book. I tell people it took me 12 years to get my first book out. And it was my memoir, basically, how I got in a wheelchair. Yeah. And um, I said, you know, it's uh, and I'm not a writer. So, you know, so I'd write I'd write, I don't know, say a page. Then I may not pick it up for six weeks to write one paragraph. 
and then may not pick it up for a year and a half to write a chapter. I said, you know, you know, when we, we get new new computers so often, I said it's fortunately a blessing to me that I never lost that manuscript because if I did, I don't think I would have ever started all over again. Yeah, so. I feel the same way. Um, I, in fact, I when I first finished it and started editing it and went back to my first few chapters, there were stories that I had forgotten because they were, they, I had written them 12 years ago, 10 years ago. And so I'm very thankful that I did start it then. And um, my story has changed throughout the years too. What I started writing 12 years ago, what I thought I would end with didn't, you know, I changed all the end chapters because so many different things happened that I didn't foresee for myself at that time. That's when you come out with the first book and then you have a second edition for another five years from now, then a third edition and we add some more stuff or we delete some stuff and yep so you get your second and third edition to go from there yeah so all right ryan appreciate you uh boy this has been uh again for me and and uh eagle vp he's been here he said he would definitely uh, be one of your support channels oh that's so, awesome uh, <laughs> and he said also he, uh eagle vp said he's got a uh, 38 year old grandson in a wheelchair we tell your grandson we say hello yeah. And uh, get you get him to uh, watch some of some of our podcasts that we do over here, and uh, get him to sign up with uh, Ryan's uh, YouTube channel when she gets it here. Yeah. So, hey Ryan, so website, so there you go. Hey Ryan, go ahead and tell us um, some how people can uh, uh, Eagle VP and the grandson how they can find you on other social media, your Instagram yeah. website. My so my website is my name. Where is it? Er- right about there that's my website and my instagram i'm on facebook as well so please check me out follow me and i will keep you updated on my book and everything else there we go and for the ones that are listening she said it's her name it's it's ryan ray harbuck and it's ryan r-y-a-n ray r-a-e and Hardbuck, H-A-R-B-U-C-K. And if nothing else, always Google that name and then stuff will start popping up. You know how Google works. And uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll get the, some of these links to your information. I'll put it in the show notes to make awesome. it easier for people to pop and find. And when your book does come out, contact me and we'll do a book promotion to help uh, push it out and get people to, more interested in uh, go finding you. That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. Hey, it's been, uh, again, very enlightening with me with the stem cells. So I appreciate you coming in, sharing your valuable time uh, with us, again, and your valuable information, uh, providing hope and encouragement for other people. Now, one last thing I want to ask you here, I'm going to put you on the spot. Usually I tell people beforehand, but I forgot. But uh, I ask people that, uh, my guests, we know that people are hurting and struggling today. If you can give us a powerful message to help them get through today. That would be awesome. I think something that I actually found out for myself as I wrote my memoir was that you find your strengths through your vulnerabilities. And being in a chair, there are a lot of times where I was left feeling very vulnerable and out of control and recognizing that your true strengths are within that really yucky moment and to really sort of cherish that for what it is and, and really be able to find your inner strength and your inner power and rise from those vulnerabilities and become the thing that you really are and not hold yourself back. There you go. Awesome. Appreciate that. And uh, for everyone else, be sure again to come find Ryan later on in the, Say hello to her. Tell her you you got her off the uh, Professor of Perseverance podcast and want to say hello. And maybe she'll help you with some uh, swimming techniques. Yes, so. anytime. <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, Eagle VP, hey, thank you for supporting me. I see you said uh, right there that you you watch my streams uh, pretty often. So I appreciate <laughs> you doing it. Tim, thank you for coming in. This is Will Life again. So everyone else, hey, uh, share this out with someone you know needs some some inspiration, some motivation, some ins- some encouragement, something to get them through. You know, we know people are hurting. Don't just grab hold this stuff and then keep it for yourself to share it out, 
help other people. That's what we're here for is help other people. All right. Thank you again, Ryan. Thank you, everybody else. Say on the replay. Thank you. And uh, everybody do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast for motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at professorofperseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.